Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. You know, I always say that, one man's view of the changing world and changing times. But on Wednesdays, usually, sometimes there's more than one interview a week. There will be this week. i got a really cool interview for you tomorrow. Wait do you... Where do you hear who's coming on tomorrow? I don't even want to tell you that. I don't want to upstage Glenn Tate because that's who's on today. But where do you find out tomorrow who's going to be on TSP? Some of you know because you follow me on social media. Anyway, my point there before I derailed myself, one man's view. Today you're getting two men's view. And they're very similar. There's some differences, of course, because we're different people. But Glenn Tate is a good friend of TSP. For those that have not been around since way back in the early days of the Survival Podcast, we used to run... An old school forum. We eventually shut it down because it was more trouble to maintain than it was getting used because everything's kind of over the years moved into the world of social media. And Glenn was one of my original moderators on the original TSP forum. When I say original moderators on original forum, I'm talking like three and a half, four months in. So this would have been like fall of 08 that Glenn and I, you know, began working together in that capacity. He's been on the show a bunch of times. I'll let him give you kind of his background, things he's done since then when we bring him on. But today he's on to talk to us about two things. The shutdown fallout, the things that hurt people that we're not hearing about on TV. And I, I would say that, you know, most people probably know someone that got really, really sick with COVID or maybe even somebody that died. And most of the people that can say that also will tell you that that person was very old, very sick, in a nursing home, something like that. I, I don't mean to belittle any loss of life. I know there are some people who at least appear relatively healthy and were much younger that died, but it was a vast minority. But for every story of someone you lost to this disease, there's ten stories like the one you're going to hear from Glenn today and, and the story that I have for him when he tells his story about people that either died or went through incredible pain and suffering because of stupid policies for a disease that was not worth shutting down society for. And in this case, these are both medical stories. And there's many other stories. And we're not even going to get into the stuff about like people losing their business and things like that. People committing suicide. Uh, this is just a medical situation where normal medical procedures were not available, including life-saving or situation or procedures that may have may have not necessarily because it wasn't done the person didn't die but their life was altered forever in horrible ways and and, and we're going to talk about that and we're going to transition from that into why the Glenn is doing what I said to do a long time ago he's getting out he's lived and fought the good fight in Washington state for a long time he's going to explain to you today why he's moving to Montana and it fits in exactly with why I chose Texas as a place to live in the first place a long, long, long time ago. We're going to talk about the people that say, you should stay and fight, and how those people generally are talking out of their ass. They might as well just insert like some kind of a stick in their ass and use it to type on their keyboard, because that's about all they're good for is typing on keyboards. There are never people that live in these places that say that. We'll talk about that today, too. We'll talk about how to think about this and how to adapt to this new world. And we'll talk about you know, the one upside in this. Everybody's cards got laid on the table in the last year. Now you know what you know. 
What are you going to do about it? We'll talk about all of that in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor today, number one today, is RidgeWallet.com. It's just a better, safer way to carry all your critical information, your identification, your credit cards, things like that. All these things have uh, electronic uh, uh, chips in them now, things that can, like, you know, you can go and you can pay, and sometimes it's just this tap, and then you tap, and then it gets your information and you pay. You know what that means? That information's there. It's available to be lifted off of it. And there's, like, really inexpensive equipment people can buy on, like, eBay and walk around with a little device and, like, wand your ass or wand your handbag or whatever and get your information. With the Ridge Wallet, you are protected from that. It's a shield around those that important information. It's also just a great way to live. It's a great way to carry your stuff. I never forget my wallet in the car anymore. I never have a big lump on my butt from a billfold. I started carrying the Ridge Wallet three years ago. Give them a shot. You'll see why. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Been a reader of Backwoods Home since 1993. Need I say more? So much information that I give you guys goes back to years and years and years of reading Backwoods Home Magazine. First read them in 93 when I got out of the Army when I got to Texas. First subscribed to them as a subscriber in 94 when I got my first good real job after getting out of the Army. First magazine I ever subscribed to as a grown-ass adult, and I still get it four times a year as a quarterly now. Backwoodshome.com. Please check them out. With that, let's go ahead and uh, talk about our quote of the day today before I bring Glenn on. So today's quote of the day comes from Dave Mustaine, which a bunch of you just went, Who? Uh, he was kind of the head dude behind the metal band Megadeth. What does he have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, a lot with this quote. Moving on is a simple thing. What it leaves behind is hard. We're going to talk about that today, Glenn and I. We're going to lead off with his story of what happened to him uh, medically due to these COVID nonsensical shutdowns. But we're going to talk about leaving behind some of these states, some of these cities, some of these places and going somewhere else. And we'll talk about why it's it's really putting more skin in the game than someone that says, well, I'm going to stay here and vote. It takes a lot more effort than it does to just sit in place. It's actually hard. It's actually hard to leave behind a lot of stuff you've worked for and built. It's hard. You know, it's one thing if you just have a regular old job and you're young yet and you're in your early 20s and you just get a new job and move. When you've built the business, you've put down roots, you have relationships, and there's things you love about where you live, it takes something in you to pick up and move. But you know what? It took something in people who escaped across the Berlin Wall. It took something in people who got out of Nazi-occupied Europe. It took something in people that got on a tiny-ass boat or raft or something built out of a bunch of crates tied together to float across the ocean from communist-controlled Cuba into Florida. No one said anything negative about those people. Not a single word. People that are making these relocations now, like we're going to eventually talk about today, it's a simple thing, but what it leaves behind is hard. But it's also... In many cases, I believe the only intelligent decision left. With that, let's go ahead and get Glenn on here uh, to talk about all of this and more. With that, hey, Glenn, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's always fun to be on. Always fun. We always have good conversations. Absolutely. I had you on ah, a little over a month ago, and uh, some things had come up at that point, but we, we decided to go on with the topic we had selected for that show. 
Today we're going to talk about a very unfortunate thing that happened to you due to COVID restrictions, and we'll dig into that in just a second. But let's start off with who the hell is Glenn Tate? Uh, <laughs> for those that don't know, that haven't heard of Prepping 2.0 and 299 Days and all that good stuff, who is Glenn and where did he come from? <laughs> well, the, my biggest claim to fame is being a moderator on the TSP forum under the name Heavy G. And um, some other little things that have happened since then. I wrote a 10-book uh, series, fiction, not proper novel fiction series called 299 Days that's been surprisingly well-received. I say surprisingly because I never thought anyone would read it. I never thought it would get published, and so I've been as surprised as anybody. have a uh, great podcast uh, with my wife, so I co-host it with her. It's called Prepping 2.0, and as you can tell from the name, we, we hit the – I don't know, the mid-level, the intermediate level, and higher sort of topics. I mean, bug-out bags is not something we talk about, and there's plenty of good resources for that, and people should get a bug-out bag, but the next level is that uh, 2.0 thing. Um, I'm a lawyer, but don't hate me. I sue the government, so I guess that kind of cancels out the whole lawyer thing in many people's minds. And um, we're moving this summer from Washington State uh, to Montana, getting out of a blue state, going to a red state. So that's me in a nutshell. Awesome, man. Awesome. So um, let's talk about the basics. Like, what happened to you in the middle of all this COVID restriction shit? Yeah, um, it's kind of an amazing story, and I wish I weren't <laughs> the one telling it. It starts off in the uh, June of 2020, the height of the COVID stuff, um, here in a blue state, Washington State. Washington State was probably at the time the most aggressive, uh, tyrannical state. I think tyrannical is actually an okay word to use here. I don't think that's an overstatement with all kinds of crazy COVID restrictions. So I had a test done that showed that I was at high risk um, and needed a colonoscopy. So – I dutifully uh, schedule my colonoscopy like I'm supposed to do. And again, it's high risk. You're going to hear me say that about four times in this whole thing because it's an important fact. And um, so June 2020, have a colonoscopy scheduled. Awesome. Doing what I need to do, being a responsible grown-up. And uh, the COVID restrictions imposed by the communist idiot governor of Washington State, Jay Inslee, if you're listening, you're a communist and an idiot, um, he uh, decided to cancel – all cancer screening procedures because remember we remember jack we we're going to flatten the curve right it was two weeks flatten the curve flatten yeah the two curve. weeks to flatten the curve that's a year and two months ago now <laughs> and we had to have all these hospital spaces for all the people that would otherwise be dying in the streets right and so my colonoscopy gets um canceled and i thought well okay given that this is a high risk thing i'm sure it will be rescheduled um so up to this point in the story, the blame is squarely on the idiot governor of Washington state. And by the way, there were many other states and still are some other states that have stupid COVID restrictions like this. So this is not just a Washington state thing. But anyway, then the hospital, this is where their blame comes in. Um, they just kind of didn't get around to it for a while. Um, they didn't get around. They finally did in October of 2020, and they said, can you do it tomorrow? And I said, no, actually, I can't. Um, I need to be in court. But I said, this is very important to me. Let's reschedule. Yes, we guarantee not, – that's not the word they used. I need to be accurate. They mm -hmm. said, we will reschedule it in two weeks. And I said, awesome. Didn't hear from them. Candidly, kind of forgot about it. I know that sounds terrible on my part. But here's the deal. I can't call up a hospital and say, okay, guys, this day works for me. I want you to assemble 
a colonoscopy team. I'm going to be there Saturday at 9 a.m. You guys be sure and be there. I'm just going to walk in the door and get this done. I am not in control of when they schedule these procedures. So fast forward to uh, January. We're going to get somewhat gross here, but I think everybody listening is a grown-up, so I don't think that they're going to have a problem with this. I um, sort of don't have a bowel movement for two weeks. Wow. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of pain, but it was extraordinarily unpleasant. Obviously, it was it's pretty clear why <laughs> yeah. my, my bowel was blocked, um, my colon, I guess, in particular. Go to the ER, and I kind of know where this is headed. I, and, and it was it was horrible. So go to the ER and they say, oh, you have colon cancer. Um, we're going to have a surgery in about, I think, six hours. I thought, oh, okay, great. Um, but luckily I was – I had about a quart of Dilaudid in me, so I was actually in a pretty good mood and um, surprisingly. Um, and so then there was an emergency surgery, took out um, actually a pretty small um, – that's the good news – part of – my colon, and then I'm uh, in the hospital for six days. That was a party, and um, uh, now I'm on chemotherapy, which is going, I have to say, pretty well. Um, all the, here's the bottom line: I don't want people worrying about me for no reason, okay? Because I hate that kind of false sympathy stuff. Every single indicator that we have is is good right now, so it appears that this will turn out well. So I want to focus on the positivity of it. But needless to say, six days in the hospital um, without getting too gross, um, since my my colon is no longer attached to my small intestine, I have a little bag stuck on me that I have to uh, crap into and empty, Which and I'll have that for seven months. Um, wow. It comes out in August. I had no idea what a crimp that would be in my life. The other thing is the fatigue from the chemo combined with a restriction on lifting weights. I can't do – Stuff. I mean, like anything. It's. It's. I've never been. You know, I, I was going to say disabled, but that's that's an exaggeration. I don't want to do that. Um, I've never been hindered like this. I'm an extremely active guy. Uh, 54 years old, by the way, if that helps set the context. And I can't do stuff. I mean, here I am right now at the cabin, the famed cabin. You know, in in depicted in the 299 days books. I need to move a couple tubs around and. Um, I can't. I have to call on a friend of mine driving two hours to come help me lift stuff. Um, so it's been horrible in that sense, but chemo's t- tolerable. Outcome should be good, so I'm going to focus on that. In August, I, I'm done with chemo. I get reconnected and get rid of the bag and get the port out of my right shoulder that they put the stuff in. It's like a piece of plastic under the skin that goes straight into the heart. The reason that's a thing for me, you'll laugh um, – <laughs> I can't shoot a rifle because <laughs> it's right where the buttstock is, and that's killing me. Um, and with the bag, it's funny. I can't really carry concealed as a practical matter. I, I could, but blah, blah, blah. And I that's driving me crazy too. So minor points, I grant you that. So the answer to your question is because of idiotic, complete overreach, obviously stupid COVID restrictions, I am now having to recover – from cancer. And here's the thing that really bugs me. Okay, you'd think that would be enough to bug me, but here's the bigger picture and here's how it relates to everybody listening. Was there nobody in that conference room when that decision was being made by the idiot governor? Was there no one in that conference room that raised their hand and said, you know what? Canceling cancer screenings could really hurt some people. Did, 
Now, either nobody raised their hand, which is terrible enough, or worse than that, and what I suspect happened, somebody raised their hand and said, you know, this this may actually create a lot of unnecessary pain, misery, injury, and even death. And somebody said, hey, shut up. We have COVID yeah. to battle, and we have Donald Trump to be to in an election. Yeah, to defeat. And by the way, in Washington State, the electoral votes are going to the Democrat anyway, so I don't really see Washington as a battleground state. I mean, even it's not okay to give people cancer just to win a presidential election, but that wasn't even in play in this situation. So you know, I, 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 I'm not sticking up for them at all here, but I'm going to say that that may not factor into that decision because a lot of these blue states knew full well, even though their state was going to go Trump, that it was flipping other states, and anything they could do, to damage Trump was worth doing, even at the cost of their own citizens' health, safety, lives, businesses, everything. So I don't know that the play was, let's make sure Washington solidly votes against Trump. The play was probably defeating Trump at all costs, and that is sick. So it's not a defense, but you can see the logic I'm coming from there with it yeah. still would influence the election. That makes a lot of sense. I think you're actually right. I was sort of focusing on my little world, but yeah, mm -hmm. that makes a ton of sense. And, of course, the bottom line that we both agree on is that this is Scum. an extremely <laughs> sick, disgusting, twisted and, – and I am just one of many. And, and here's the thing. I, so I had some interesting conversations, again, when I'm whacked out on um, you know, painkillers. <laughs> um, I found myself rather chatty, which shouldn't surprise anybody. Um, but, <laughs> but I started having conversations with doctors and nurses and others. And I said, yeah, cancer screenings were canceled. And they said, yeah, we're seeing a lot of this. And they oh. said it in varying ways, sort of in varying intensities of emotion. Um, but there are a lot of people in my little teeny community in western Washington um, that we're leaving soon. Um, th there were a lot of people that they said were affected in just the same way. Because, of course, when you cancel procedures at a hospital for months on end, there will, of course, be a backlog. And they can't get the backlog taken care of, which is why they didn't call me back and reschedule it. There, something opened up for a one-day thing, and they called me. Okay, cool. But you can't expect somebody – because you know what's – I mean everybody knows what's involved in a colonoscopy. you got to drink this gross stuff. Yeah. It completely cleans you out, and you're, you're, you're messed up the next day. I mean this is not you know drop by and you know take a pill kind of thing. So – Anyway, um, that's what's going on with that. Um, I've been a litigator for 28 years, and I got a weird feeling this hospital is going to end up being financially responsible for this. I'm just going to leave it at that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. COVID yeah. restrictions are are deadly. The restrictions are deadly. Far more than a disease, I, I can tell you that. I have a friend here, totally different situation was having what was known as an elective surgery, but this was critical, affecting the spine, um, a radical surgery that needed to be done, and even being done was risky. The doctor that did it is like the only doctor in the States that's ever done this surgery wow. for this thing, and it, he's done like six of them. So this was <laughs> not something taken into lightly. It was still considered elective, and if this thing would have continued, he could have ended up paralyzed. At best, Jeez. possibly dead because you're talking about spinal issues, and I won't get into the specifics. He ended up delayed six weeks. Uh, the growth in the spine that needed to be removed continued to grow. The massive amount of, and this was like complicated. This wasn't, oh, there it is, take it out. It was, 
They had done all kinds of imaging work. They'd also gone in, he had done through really a lot of painful shit where they were stimulating different nerves mm. to figure out what did what. And that map in that six week delay changed. Yeah. And he had a really, really horrific experience due to that. And that's just another example. And that's in a, that's in a quote unquote free state. That's yeah. in a state where like they delayed this surgery six weeks. And it was actually one of these things where the state scared the doctor and the doctor advised the patient based on what this. So there wasn't actually a requirement to do this. They so convinced the medical establishment. And this doctor had gone through like with like this guy is like obviously with that kind of surgeon, you're talking about somebody that like is God in the hospital and had gone through all this with all the departments and they had modeled out the expectation. And when they had the surgery scheduled for they were convinced it would be the peak of like all these covid people coming in and like obviously being immunocompromised and stuff like that in a situation with a surgery like that you don't want to get covid in the middle of that so they made a mutual decision to not do it so it wasn't like you where they just canceled it but it was all based on bullshit and i guess the only thing i could say and this is why you probably hold it more over the head of the blue states than the red once the bullshit became apparent We stopped doing this. Yeah. States like you're in, they're still doing this type of thing, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. Um, Washington still has restrictions. Let me tell you, this just happened, you know, a couple hours ago, breaking news, I guess. Oregon, which is as messed up as Washington State, maybe slightly more messed up, they're going to a permanent mask mandate in light of all of the other states repealing their restrictions and having, you know, no <laughs> pandemic and no people dying in the streets. Um, Oregon is doubling down. Uh, you probably heard about the Oregon high school student track and field runner. She's running and she, they have to wear masks outdoors to run. And she still broke the state record, but that was because she, her body fell across the um, finish line at the very end. She's like alive, but she completely abrased her face on that, you know, that Mason pumice stuff and passed out because anyway, so there's that going on. So Oregon doubles down. You know, we were on our way to Montana and we saw a, um, a car, a Prius, of course, with a um, Oregon license plate had a sticker on it said mask it or casket oh okay those are our choices i'm <laughs> glad you have this nice little rhyme yeah simplified this complicated thing and i thought mask it or casket you know what your stupid mask it stuff almost put me in a casket mm-hmm mm-hmm they don't want to hear I, that they don't want to hear not that americans though. they're no. not americans no they are not americans no what they are is scared sheep Mm-hmm. They're not they're not people anymore and I I know that sounds like a horrible thing to say like everybody's a person they're people but they're people as in their NPCs right they're not player characters and I think a lot of people don't understand the real meaning of that so when you look at NPC theory it's not just hey here's a meme to make fun of lefties right because there's people on the right that I would call equally their NPCs I think you and I both agree with that sure a non-player character in a video game, and I, you know, I'm doing my best here because I haven't played a video game since I was on an Atari 5200 or 20, <laughs> 2600, right? Like you're talking Pac-Man and River Raid since I played video games. But an NPC in these these like real world type games, 
The player character is you, and maybe if it's multiplayer, it's you and your buddies. And you walk around and you make decisions and you can do things within the rules of the game, right? But you can make a decision. You can go left or right. You can see something happening like, hey, that guy's getting killed over there, and you can go kill the bad guy. You can help the bad guy. You can run away. You can do whatever you want. But all the people that you see on the streets walking around, they're programmed in the game. And you can even communicate with them and things like that from what I understand. But if you go up and say, hey, there's a bad guy over there killing people. You need to go inside. That character might or might not go inside, but it's going to do whatever it's been programmed to do. It's not going to make an independent decision. And to me, if you're a full person, you're capable of making that independent decision. And you would evaluate the data. And if, if I challenged it, maybe you wouldn't agree with me, but you, you know what I'm saying. You would be able to logically argue the facts when people start making arguments and I don't care if it's left or right I don't care if it's against gay marriage and it's God made Adam and Eve not Adam and Steve or it's masket or casket when people start using phraseology as arguments freedom isn't free etc with no understanding of the underlying issue they've moved from player character to NPC they are now operating within the programming of the game rather than maneuvering through the game based on the rules of the game. Because we, we, you and I have to deal with rules of the game. The fact that you went through all the crap you did is part of the rules of the game that were outside of your control. But you still made decisions. You're the one that pushed. You're the one that said, hey, I'm going to the freaking ER. This ha something has to be done. You're the one that made a decision to have the surgery when that was presented to you. The NPC does what the program script says. And that's who these people are. And I have both a contempt for them, and I don't know about you, but I have a pity. Because I yeah. feel that this was done to them and done so expertly that breaking it after a certain point is very, very difficult. Like, if somebody took you prisoner and started brainwashing you and had you for like a week, they could really screw you up mentally, dude. But if we got you out, like, we can undo that. If you were grabbed, taken away, and professionally brainwashed for 12 years, when we got you back, we might never reach you. And, gee, that's how long kids are in school from first through 12, right? And don't forget kindergarten and pre-K. And I feel like that's what's been done to these people. They've been conditioned to whatever that tube says, whatever that authority figure says must be true. And if we can start boiling people's arguments down to phrases, marketing basically, marketing phrases, then you've got total control. They're NPCs, if that makes sense. Makes a ton of sense. NPCs are unthinking. And you're boiling down complicated things in the case of the Oregon person quite literally to a bumper sticker. It is, it yeah. is boiling down things to a bumper sticker. And the, you could just see the, the smugness and the self-assuredness from this brilliant person about masketing or casket. Yeah. Um, and, and they think that they're the smart ones. That's the kicker. Yeah. That's the real thing that bugs me is they think they're the smart ones and they're the, they're the caring ones. Really? Um, You want to come, you know, change my shit bag for me tomorrow? If you're so caring, I almost yeah. said an even worse word. Yeah, I know I can say bad words on your show, yeah. but I try to, you know, yeah. I try to keep it clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it's been horrible to see, and that has been a huge disappointment um, for me. I had going into this COVID thing before this, I think a more positive view of. American citizens probably than you had. Um, still pretty much the same as what you were thinking, but I was a little bit more optimistic. After this COVID thing, that optimism is gone. That being said, 
my my disappointment in the American people is somewhat regional. It is somewhat mm. limited. I mean, let me tell you something. Go to Montana. Nobody's wearing masks. There will be a corporate chain store of some kind that has to have a sign up that says you must have a mask to enter. Nobody does it. So it is not universal. I shouldn't say all Americans. I should say and, – and yeah, I'm going to generalize here – blue state Americans or blue city Americans within red states. It was jaw-dropping in those blue states, the depths of tyranny and insanity and stupidness that they went to. And then contrast that with the red states. And I'm, I'm making huge generalizations here, so I'm sure somebody's going to say, my cousin who lives in Alabama is a big, you know, COVID restriction fan. I get it. There are going to be things. But in the red states, what I saw, and this is particularly from being in Montana, I saw more resilience and more spine and it, there against the COVID restrictions. It's kind of a badge of honor now to say we don't need no stinking masks. And in Montana, and I assume other red states, there'll be a corporate uh, chain store of some kind, and they'll, the corporation will say, you got to put a sign up that says, no mask, no entry. So the signs are up. Everybody just walks in. Yeah. Uh, we went to one place. We still had a mask on because we just come from Washington. And uh, the, the checker at a convenience store said, where are you guys from? We said, <laughs> Washington State. She said, oh, honey, you don't need to wear a mask here. <laughs> so the divide, the divide between red and blue is is strengthening, I mean, and there are other indicators of it. I'm just talking about the COVID restrictions. Yeah. So in addition to all the destruction of this country, that this COVID nonsense and the overreaction to it, despite, I mean, in addition to all of those terrible outcomes, it's further divided this country. And it's pretty much, you know, you look at a, a map of states that do not have a mask mandate and ones that do, it pretty much tracks red versus blue. It pretty much tracks, in my opinion, where you need to be versus where you need to get out of. And I know, did you see the study that the, the CDC pointed to as absolute conclusive proof that lockdowns and masks worked? And all the media reported it like, we now know the truth that we always knew and on and on. But if you actually read it, the variance between a place that did absolutely nothing, I mean never had a mask lockdown, never closed a restaurant, never, the few places that did absolutely nothing, and the places that did the most draconian things, when you combine the lockdowns, the shutdowns, and the masks, all three together, the variance was 1.7%, I believe. It was either 1.3 or 1.7%. So, it wasn't 1.3 percentage points. It was overall 1%, yes, which is like yeah. a penny out of a dollar. Exactly. It was relative to the whole. Yes, it wasn't a performance that was that much better relative to the whole. So you're talking about a fractional percentile in actual efficacy. And you'll have a doctor now will cite that study. And you would say to that same doctor, if you read a treatment protocol for a new experimental drug... <laughs> And, and without even doing what you just pointed out, right, just straight up, if it improved outcomes by 1.7% but had per potential serious complications for your patient, would you trust that study and provide that, pre uh, prescribe that medication? And to a T, any doctor with a brain that still works would go, no. Okay, so you just did that for 330 million people. You just did the same thing yeah. for 330 million people, and they, they can't, even doctors, like, no doctor's stupid. There's no such thing. I mean, 
I don't think I could have got through med school, let alone four years of college, four years of med school, one year of internship, three to seven years of residency. Like, it is hard to be a doctor. Stupid people might try to be a doctor, but they don't become doctors. So none of these people are stupid. But you can be smart and stop thinking. And that's what I feel like mm. happened here, that they just don't think. Like, there's no... There's no case for this anymore, right? And in the beginning, I think all of us kind of went, you know, I think that I don't like the way this is going, but we don't know. But within like 60 days into it, we had enough data points and we did know. We thought we knew, but we weren't sure. But then within 60 days, like we knew and still all this went down and it was made decidingly political But what actually makes me think it's a much bigger thing than U.S. politics is 95% of the world did the same thing. And that, to me, is yeah. clearly out in bizarro land because I challenge anybody, instead of screaming stupid shit like mask it or casket or listen to Fauci or listen to the science, to make a logical, fact-based, data-driven argument to continue this shit at this point. And I have not heard one yet. I'm open to one. I have offered on multiple occasions on multiple things, effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine, whether or not this vaccine is actually a vaccine. I've offered multiple times. Get anybody. I don't care how many initials are after their name. I will debate you in a live stream with a third-party moderator, agreed upon topics. Before we go in, you can have two research assistants that can use the Internet. I get one page front and back of handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. And I'm a redneck hippie duck farmer podcaster. Do you know how many people have taken up have taken that up? Zero. Zero, Glenn. Freaking zero. Now, to me, let's let's go with a different thought experiment here. A answer me this, Glenn. If I had come out and said, you know what? Mixed martial arts is bullshit. I'll take on any mixed martial arts fighter. You can have two assistants. You don't have to follow the rules, and I do. How long would it have been before my ass was kicked? <laughs> exactly. By Friday, right? Like as long as it took for that person to get to, to get the, the place set up, right? To set up the octagon. Like it would have been instantaneous. Some some redneck half ass martial artist from like Sherman, Texas would have phoned me up and said, Right, mate, get on up here, get your ass kicked, and I would have went up there and got my ass kicked. Why? Because that would have been a stupid challenge. And so when you make a stupid challenge that can be easily met in any profession from football, sports, martial arts, intellectually, then people that are qualified have no problem taking you to task. When you make one that is indefensible on the other end, they hide behind phrases. And, and, and to me, you can, you can say whatever you want, but until somebody's willing to debate me, and I've also done this because the excuse was, you know what the excuse is, right? Well, you know, you're not credentialed. It's not worth it. Fine, I'll get you somebody that's credentialed. Who do you want? How about how about that Harvey Weiss or whatever his name is from from uh, Stanford or MIT or whatever that's like one of the most cited researchers that's still alive? You want him? I'll get him. Whatever. Nope. Nobody nobody will debate this in a. And have you seen it? I mean, just curiosity. You watch the news more than me, I'm sure, because you do a radio show and whatnot. Like, have you seen any two professionals where? the two sides were able to legitimately challenge each other in debate, even like a news interview. They, to me, they bring on like this side and that side, but they keep them separated. Right? I have not seen yet anybody be intellectually challenged in these claims at all. Have you? No, not at all. And what you get is uh, 10 to 30-second soundbite bursts yeah. from somebody. 
And then the other thing I haven't seen since, and I'm going to date myself here, the old PBS firing line with Bill yeah. Buckley. Yeah. That's the last time, you know, what was that, 1971? Yeah. That's the last time I saw anything approaching an actual debate like you're describing. You get a better debate in a coal miner's bar in rural Pennsylvania than you do on TV now. <laughs> I'm sitting, no, I'm dead serious. Like, I, you know, it's, you, you will get more informed people, bunch of old coal miners with black lung drinking a yingling will be more informed in their debate than experts on the TV or Karen on Facebook. Um, what is your overall reaction to all this? It sounds like, I, I keep saying this, like the worst drug, drug epidemic in America is hopium. It sounds like you're finally stopping the freebasing of hopium. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and, and I'm going to look bad here, which I don't mind because, I mean, the truth the truth. For the longest time, we uh, held out here in Washington State. We we tried to make it better. We ha we're, we live in a very rural, kind of isolated place, and we thought, okay, Seattle burned to the ground, um, and it won't affect us. And, you know, we were invested, um, owned property and jobs and all these other things and school, and it was it's a giant pain in the ass to get up and move and relocate. So all of the <laughs> normalcy bias I'm always criticizing people for, I was, you know, exhibit A of normalcy bias. We held out for a long time. I, a quick note about trying to fix Washington State, and I get this from a handful of people who say, oh, you're running away. <laughs> okay, let me tell you, if anybody out there thinks that, let me tell you something. I have spent the most, the most part of my 28 years of being a lawyer suing government. I have lobbied for <laughs> liberty causes. I have done all of the stuff within the system. I mean, I've, I've been sworn in as a judge, for goodness sakes. It was like a temporary teacher thing. I'm not saying a permit. I mean, I've been a judge, for goodness sakes. And you're telling me I haven't done enough? Listen, listen, anybody out there saying this whole don't run, you coward thing, let me be very specific. If I can't change Washington State, you sitting on your ass and eating Doritos and watching <laughs> Netflix, sure as hell, can't change your state. So, It comes to a point where a blue state is unchangeable, and every year it gets worse, election results here, blah, blah, blah. So get up and move. Uh, big, scary thing. Um, ended up in Montana. It's a long story about how that happened, but we're getting up and out. And um, by the way, this is interesting. A lot of people assume it was this, this uh, getting cancer thing that was the last straw. Actually, we had already decided to go. Mm for a variety of reasons, and obviously, you know, this is a kicker. And the, the, one of the main things was um, our 15-year-old um, being stuck in this Internet school, the public schools, mm. is where we are, did a terrible job of going from zero to 60 on Internet schools. I get it. It's kind of hard to do. Okay. I'm, but I'm not – listen – My kids' education is not like a thing I'm willing to say, oh, well, I guess you guys tried hard. Uh, an honor student and a three-sport athlete who's this bubbly kid that everybody loves, you know, he's like a leader, right? He goes from that after a couple months of being stuck in his room for 23 hours a day and not being able to do anything to being depressed. He hates school. He, it's all a scam. And you know what? Looking at it from his standpoint, he's right. Grown-ups are idiots. School is dumb. I, you know what? I hate to agree with a teenager, but he's actually right when he says that stuff. So in Montana, schools were closed, I think, for two weeks. You know, they were actually flattening the curve <laughs> for two weeks, like, like we all thought was probably okay. Um, 
and so that was that was a real kicker. Um, taxes have gone up. Gun laws are getting crazy. And and this is going to sound weird to some people, but I don't really care. I don't think of myself as anything special. Again, these books, I didn't think anyone would ever read. I mean, I didn't think they ever get published. Apparently, um, according to law enforcement, I am somewhat of a prominent, I don't know, survivalist or something like that. I don't think I'm prominent. But, I mean, and by the way, Jack, you're like tenfold worse on this list as far oh, as... Oh, I'm on all the so, lists. I Yeah, I got the merits. I, every time I get on a plane and they let me, I'm like... Really? Okay, wow. cool. Yeah. <laughs> you must have misspelled my name. Um, and so I realized that that local law enforcement has to uh, is relied upon by federal law enforcement to do a variety of things. We all about fusion centers. We all know about how the feds need the local government. And wh- while Donald Trump is not a savior by any means, I must say, going into this election, in which we all assume Donald Trump would win, um, you know, at least I did. I mean, I knew there would be a margin of cheating, but I thought you would get past the margin of cheating. Um, when Donald Trump was taken out, when the federal government was no longer a buffer against state government, and again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying the federal government is a bastion of civil rights and is out to protect me, but relative to Washington State, oh. the federal government is actually the good guys, if you had to pick one of the two. When that fell away, and when I realized we were going to have a Biden administration who would be working cackling with delight, working with local officials to go get all these evil right-wing wackos like me, apparently. Um, that was a big factor. And then they would change gun laws that I can't comply with, won't comply with, and I would be in a pretty bad situation. And I thought, this is intolerable. I mean, you know, we all know the Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote. You know, he was a, a Soviet dissident. And it goes along the lines of, you know, how we burned in the camps telling stories about how we could have left, we could have done something, we could have we could have prevented what ended up happening as they're in, you know, a horrible death camp prison. And I thought I'm not gonna sit there and say to myself, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. I mean, I'm I'm a prepper for goodness sakes. I mean, plans and agility and adjusting to the facts and losing normalcy bias, it's what I espouse. How could I not live it? And so we made the very difficult choice. It's been pretty doggone expensive, I might add, um, to pick up and move. So, and it, this, this is, I think, important because number one, we were some of the last holdouts, but number two, when people do stuff in their own lives that cost them money and inconvenience and disruption, as opposed to just like saying something on, you know, Facebook or whatever, when you put, when you have skin in the game like we do with this relocation, that means something is pretty seriously afoot. And I have, excuse me, Numerous conversations with my friends in this community. Almost every one I can think of in a blue state is in some stage of planning to relocate to yeah. a red state. Yeah. It is it is universal, and people are are doing the really hard stuff it takes to get out of blue states, which tells me that you know it is that intolerable in blue states. That's my point. No, you're dead on, and I mean I've seen it happen really fast for people going from not. Not understanding this to understanding it. One of my one of my best buddies is a dude named Sal Mayweather, Sal the Agorist, um, and he has his podcast. I have mine, but we collaborate on 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 what we call the the, the you know Unloose the Goose podcast as a collaborative effort made up of kind of a bunch of different podcasters. And we had an episode where we talked about not really as a subject, but it kind of kind of came into it strategic relocation. And like a week later, he's on his show. Yeah, I told Spirico that's just running away. Three weeks later, well, so I'm moving to Florida. 
from New Jersey, right? So it took three weeks from that's running away to I'm getting the hell out of here. And I, I, I look at this, and here's what I, I, I can tell you about most of those people. Um, Sal would be an exception because he was trying to hold out, right? But most of those people that talk shit about, like, you're running away or whatever, you know, stay and fight. You know what they don't do? They don't effing live there. Right. They don't live in Seattle or Portland or even like, you know, eastern Washington or Oregon. They live like, you know, they they live in like Tennessee or they live in like West Virginia where they don't have to deal with that shit. So they're like, you should stay there and fight. But they're not in the, they're not in it with you. That That's number one. Number two, these people are mental midgets. I'm sorry. So were the people that crawled their ass on floating piles of debris and floated across the, the Caribbean Sea from Cuba to Miami cowards? Or were they seeking a better life? And I've said this to people as much as I think Pennsylvania is a screwed up state. New Jersey's worse. The Delaware River is not the Berlin Wall. Did the people that scaled the Berlin Wall, were they cowards or were they heroes that wanted something better? So, exactly. were the people who left before the wall went up cowards or smart? That's what we're dealing with. Right? And, and so it's before the, wall the walls up. go up. And the walls can be a lot of things. There's a lot of capital controls. I can see in the future, mm -hmm. you, like I guarantee you what you did, You divested yourself of your real estate, didn't you? You said you're in your cabin. You're either going to sell it or you're going to do something with it and go elsewhere, right? Okay, mm -hmm. they'll start putting in capital controls to prevent the sale of your real estate if you're leaving the state within six months or some kind of yep. penalty. Some kind of, they will erect not only physical walls but virtual walls, as many as they can. They'll say you still owe state income tax for one year after leaving or some shit. Like This stuff's coming, and, and people are like, well, how do you know that? Because I've read a history book. Because it's yeah. always what happens. It's always, <laughs> always, always what happens. And I don't know. It was like I've been saying to get out since like I don't know what 2008. But it was like a year ago that I came on the air and I said, "Remember when I was talking about the stock market?" And I'm like, "Get out, get out, get out, get out." And I'm like, "Okay, if you live in a flashpoint city, get out, get out, get out, get out." And I got the same crap you did. You know what? Screw those people. They don't live there and they're not doing anything. They're, they're, they're freaking keyboard warriors on freaking YouTube comments. That's all they are. Yeah, and when is we, uh, as preppers and resilient, liberty-minded, independent, independent folks, when have we ever said, oh, golly, some random guy in West Virginia thinks I'm a pussy. I better completely alter my <laughs> life and endanger myself because I have to please some complete stranger. You mentioned capital controls, and I completely agree and see that coming. It happens in every dictatorship, especially socialist ones. Um, and there's another thing going on that doesn't even right now, currently, that doesn't even require something as sort of dramatic as capital controls. Real estate prices. Right now in western Washington, rural western Washington, everybody from Seattle is moving out and they can work remotely. The real estate, and by the way, we, we uh, Airbnb the, the cabin. You would not, we are constantly full. I think 290 nights out of 365 we were, we had occupancy. Oh, we wow. have people here, one of them I talked to, he's literally a rocket scientist. Like, he works on stuff that goes into space, right? And he could use the Internet here. He stayed for a month. He loved it. This is when Seattle was burning to the ground. So everybody, and I'm sure this is true in San Francisco and every other big blue city, they're moving to the countryside, but still within the blue states that they, you know, feel comfortable in. The real estate prices in our town are absolutely 
mind blowing. And so we're going to, here's what we're going to do. Dear Seattle liberals, we're going to take all your money we can. Every cent I can extract out of yep. you, I'm taking with me. Yep. And I'm going to Montana where, by the way, real estate prices are high. Inventory is low. That's true of Idaho. I'm familiar with that. In Montana, I'm sure it's true many other places. So we're going to sell high and end up buying high, which to me is a bit of a wash. But yep. what, so back to capital controls. Soon, I don't know when, could be this summer, I don't know. This real estate market is going to collapse because it's it's a bubble and a bunch of other stuff. Yep. If, if I'm left holding the bag, this is another motivation to get up and go because it takes a long time to you know we got to clean up our place and all that yep. other stuff. Isn't it funny, Americans? And I'm part of this problem. We fix up our houses right before we sell them, right? Yep. We don't fix them yep. up to live in them. But anyway, so it's this huge big process. Um, real estate prices at, are, are going to fall, um, especially in my overheated market. And I want to take that money, capture that value, and plump and plop it into into Montana. So there's a very explicit current reason to get up and go, and it doesn't require the drama of, of capital controls, which I do think are coming. So I had to shut down a law practice, get rid of clients, which kills me because a lot of them have great cases against the government, and, and I'm you know, I want to help them with that. Go start up a brand new law practice in a state. And people in Montana so far have been cool. But I got to tell you, when you roll into Montana with Washington license plates <laughs> or California or yeah. Oregon license plates, yeah, there's not a lot of love. So we're registering our vehicles in um, Montana, getting Montana license plates. So then when we really roll into town as opposed to just moving stuff, we have uh, Montana, by the way, offers a don't tread on me license plate, custom license plate. I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, I also have a, a 406 area code um, phone. So I'm taking those steps. But anyway, it's a big business risk, a really big business risk. And it had to be done. It is intolerable in a blue state. And soon you were talking about East Germany and building the walls. I mean, I can see the construction cranes, you know, me- metaphorically of the wall going up. And all you have to do is control one or two mountain passes in Washington State. You know, a Humvee with an M2 is 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 all you need to control that travel. And you got to get out while you can. And I am, yes, a late adopter of this position, and I've tried. So if I'm coming to this conclusion, I feel like it's pretty well thought out. Well, and so the other thing that people keep saying about this, and again, these are uninformed keyboard warrior types. Well, all that happens is all the liberals come to your state, and I'm like, shut up. Shut up, because we actually had a study done here in Texas, and people who have moved to this state in the last 10 years break about two to one right versus native Texans. Because Mm -hmm. there's a reason they're coming here, and this is what people don't understand. This is the real danger. This is where you run out of places to go. It is not states that create liberals. It is cities and the school systems in them that are literal liberal factories. And we are producing liberals in Dallas School District, in Austin School District, in Houston School District right now, where the most people live in those three cities in this whole state. They live in those three cities. And literally, if you want to fight this battle politically, and I'm not sure I do, I'm more at the point now where, like, I have my shit, you come take it from me, you, you take a dirt nap. I mean, mm-hmm. like, I, I am fully aware that a backhoe makes a 14-foot deep hole. Like, that's where I'm getting <laughs> to with this shit. I'm, like, done. But if you want to fight the political battle left-right, because as much as I despise the right, I despise the left, like, a thousand times more. 
then you actually have to import people that, that take up the side of at least some liberty and freedom faster than your schools are manufacturing people that have no understanding of it. And, and that's literally where we're at right now, and I, I feel like that's exactly where we're headed. Um, when people talk about Texas flipping freaking blue, if it happens, it's not going to be because people came here from freaking California, Oregon, and Washington. It's going to be because people that had their children grow up here who didn't raise their kids because they let the school raise their kids flipped. I have a nephew and a niece that are both like, you know, when uh, Ginsburg died, they were like, it was like a national day of mourning for them. Um, the boy spouts off crap about, you know, white privilege or whatever. His mom is a teacher, and she's a very conservative person. His, her, their dad is a cop. These kids were brought up in the Methodist church. They never missed a Sunday. They went to Sunday school. They went to youth group. They went on mission trips. They were raised in an incredibly conservative uh, household, and they're both liberal as crap. You know why? Schools. Schools and city yep. life. That's what does it. That's what does it, and it's not going to stop anytime soon. You know, and, and Texas is a good example of this. Yes, you have some large cities, but Texas, much like Montana I keep talking about, is one of these states where there isn't one city mm -hmm. that completely population-wise controls everything. Obviously, yep. Washington has Seattle that controls everything. Oregon has Portland. And so when a city doesn't control everything in your state, you've got a better chance. And I fully acknowledge that all these red states that I'm talking about that are so awesome – um, over time are going to be less awesome yeah. for the very reasons you mentioned. And guess what? I'm playing the hand I'm dealt. Yep. I have a yep. relative advantage now in a, in a red state. And I agree 100%, and probably it's because it personally affects me. This idea that people coming to red states are somehow liberals, I mean, it's probably based on, like, one person, you know, maybe the yeah. person with the Prius and the masket or casket thing moves yeah. to Bozeman, Los Angeles. Yeah. I feel like a Montana now making fun of Bozeman, but um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so no, and, and there's like one anecdotal thing and they think, oh, it's all that. No, not at all. Um, from what I've seen, and again, I'm personally, I'm in, in this data set, right? So it's going to skew things. It is, it is people that left a blue state for a reason and want their new state to not be like their old state. And, and, you know, and I actually, and, and I hate politics. I mean, I hate it, hate it, hate it. I'm halfway considering, I don't know, I'll probably end up not doing this because I hate politics so much. Maybe sort of getting like minimally involved. I don't know, you know, maybe school board. I don't know. But I understand. Here's my point. I understand that I have an obligation coming to a red state to keep it red and make it redder. And maybe the school board is a great place to focus the fight. Probably can't be done. There's statewide teachers unions, but you get the the point. If no, it's probably the most state, important thing you could do is influence educational yep. decisions. It's more important than anything else. It's more important than legislative shit it, because it is these kids that are going to soon outnumber us, and they're coming out of school stupid. I'm sorry, that's the only word I have for it. They're coming out of school stupid. The things they say, and I'm not talking about stupid kids. They're coming out of school dumbed down. That's why they say stupid stuff, right? So you can talk. I mean, you can have somebody with 120, 130 IQ. They've still been conditioned to be stupid. They've been trained to think a certain way. And if you don't tilt that, it's done. It's done. And I think the only hope, and I try not to free base the hopium, but the only hope is <laughs> if we can do, like you said, play the hand you're dealt. You move as many people as you can out of these shitholes as possible. 
You hold out as long as you can and let them effing crumble. Let them go yeah. down in flames. Let, let, because people talk about voting. The most important vote that you have is your money. You can, you can believe it's like every one vote, one person, whatever. It's all horseshit. Like, we just watched an election get stolen, and people think I'm a conspiracy theorist for saying that. I think you're an idiot if you can't see that an election was stolen. In plain daylight, right, you watched it happen, and you still believe in this system. To me, the way you vote is you take your money and you leave. That's what you said earlier. You take your money and you leave. And let them burn. Let them rot like the cancer they are. Because eventually... The ultimate vote in this country, since it is money, is the freedom of movement in a republic. And when that's the whole point of having different states with different laws and different things, where you can't have a president dictate mask orders to the whole country, even though apparently he thinks he can. I mean, that clown, when he was out talking about it, what, a few months ago, like, you know, if everybody does this, then maybe, just maybe, you can have a small <laughs> gathering of people in your backyard without masks, maybe. It's like... Did, I wanted to, you know, like, if, if I thought he'd see it, send him the picture of, like, 80 people partying their ass off in my garage in frickin' November last year. This is what we think of your shit, right? But the reason we can do that is we're a republic, right? That's why. And so the ultimate act of patriotism, if you're going to equate it to voting, would be going where your ideals are met because it takes a lot more – you just talked about it. It takes more sacrifice, It takes more commitment. Anybody can go freaking straight ticket Republican vote. And it doesn't mean nothing. When you pick up a business, you divest yourself of your real estate, you move to another state, and you start working and building and prospering there, that hurts. That hurts. And it's happening. It's like a freaking drain. It's, it's, um, what happens to every state that turns into like a failed state or banana republic? You have a brain drain, right? Like when, when these states get taken over by socialism, All, and that's why they try to keep you in. All the productive people leave. And, they, and the smartest productive people leave as fast as possible. And then it turns into a banana republic or what have you. And so screw it. Let California be a banana republic. I don't care. If the land is the only thing valuable left in that state, it'll still be there after the state fails. 100%. And, and we're moving with our feet and taking money. And here's, a, here's a, an exclamation point on what you're saying. Now with Zoom... And remote working. Yeah. Here's the cool part. In Montana, I can I can work for Washington clients, and I have some. I didn't. I mean, I guess the whole business isn't messed up, but I have some Washington clients. Here's the cool thing: can live in Montana, be free in Montana, do my business in Montana, and Washington doesn't get any of the taxes. Correct. Because I'm I'm going to pay Montana taxes, which by the way are way lower. Mm-hmm. So Washington, um, I'm leaving. And I'm taking my money with me. Whoever buys our house and replaces us, I'm guessing, isn't going to be, you know, like me and my wife. We have, let's see, a couple side businesses, a couple jobs. I mean, we have five jobs between the two of us. Um, they're probably going to be retirees that are spending money. We generate a fair amount of money, obviously not in the big scheme of things, for the state of Washington. And that's another reason. I didn't get into this, but I'll say this. Another reason to leave a blue state is... I got this distinct feeling, and I'm not talking like an intellectual thought. I'm talking like a heartfelt feeling that my role in Washington State, in the eyes of the communists that run this place, is to produce tax money for them. I felt like a slave, like a serf, you know, like two-thirds of my crop goes to them, 
and I was just here to strengthen them financially. And um, I'm not doing that. I'm going to a place where I get to keep a lot more of it. And if if the state of Montana benefits from my labor, I'm actually much better off with that because I know they're not going to spend the money on, you know, dry queen story hour. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, the slaves are leaving. How has this affected you going forward as far as, like, your mental toughness? It has to have had an impact. <laughs> Well, it it has a lot, um, um, both the relocation and then the, and the cancer thing. On the relocation thing, I took a big scary thing that previously had scared me, and we're squaring up and and getting it done. And I'm and I'm thinking, wow, um, it wasn't as bad as I thought. But obviously, the bigger one is the cancer thing. To be candid, in that ER room before we knew that things were going to turn out well, I was staring death in the face, and um, I said, okay. We're gonna we're gonna do what needs to be done, and I had a lot of thoughts about life and death and all those other things. Um, I'm not afraid of anything anymore, and I know that sounds like a guy you know gets on a show and says he's not afraid of anything anymore. Okay, it's cool if you don't believe me. I'm telling you the calmness that I have. Um, oh, this is a big insurmountable problem. Really? Like having cancer? <laughs> yeah. Odds are it's not insurmountable, and um, so it is. It has completely toughened me up. Mentally, um, it's now once things we know for sure and for final that things are okay, which I fully expect. Um, this has been a net plus. Um, that's, that's odd to say. Um, and so, uh, and here's the other thing the zest for life. Huge, huge improvement. I basically have another life. I've been given another life. I can start, you know, again. And I've got this amazing perspective. And of course, it coincides with the big, you know, shift in scenery, right, by moving to another state, um, I'm going to, I'm not going to work as hard, candidly. Um, I'm not going to do this stressful litigation. I'm going to enjoy myself. Um, I fully appreciate life, fully, you know, uh, my wife in particular, I mean, she's, she's doing all kinds of amazing, helpful work and, you know, helping me out and everything. So that relationship's been strengthened, absolutely toughened me up and I have this weird feeling and okay I'm prepared to be wrong about this it is just a feeling that given what's going to happen in the future um, I needed to get toughened up in order to handle what's going to be happening in the future and this was a pretty brilliant way of doing that especially when it turns out well and you know I live (laughs) so it's it's toughened me up big time and for that I am appreciative yeah, yeah. What do you, what lessons do you think people can learn from this whole experience that you've been through in our audience here? Um, hound the crap out of a hospital when it comes to rescheduling an important procedure. <laughs> um, don't wait for them to call you. I mean, go stand outside and wave a sign and pick it and say, schedule me now. No, I kid, but, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, get out of blue states. We've covered that pretty extensively. Um, this is this is your life, and if you just rely on the systems, you you from day one, from 2008, from back in when you would drive around in the Jetta and scream at people cutting you off. I still love those shows. But you would talk about the systems. You know, there's the financial system, and there's all these various systems, the energy system. If you are listening to this, you're obviously a different kind of person than the general population. You're far more independent. Don't rely on the systems to just have things turn out well. You've got to take control of things on your own because 
the system's never really had your best interests in mind. And now that they've been even more degraded in the past few years, they have even less of your interests at heart. And you got to you got to live your best life. I know that's like a cliche hallmark kind of thing, but it is absolutely true. And so just do it. I mean, be yourself, do your own thing, get it done, be happy, take risks, adapt and lose the normalcy bias. I had to lose it. And I'm sad to say that I was even afflicted by it there for a while. But take what happened to me as a lesson on a variety of levels and improve yourself based on what happened to me. Don't be Glenn Tate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if you think about it this way, like going back to 08 when I started, I always said my biggest concern for society was really two things, economic collapse and pandemic. And I said, if you get a true economic collapse, you're going to get a pandemic because disease and, 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 and financial debauchery go together. And if you get a bad pandemic, you're going to get an economic collapse. I mean, I, I remember distinctively saying that back in 08. What we had now was a, like, a, like a, the word they're using is plandemic, some of the people on the alt media. And it's not really a, a bad term. Now, I'll, I'll be clear. I don't think that they intentionally made the virus. Maybe China did. I don't know. But I, I don't think, like, you know, Bill Gates is like, hey, we'll make a virus and then we'll shut down society and I'll sell vaccines. I think it was like, oh, look, a virus. I can shut down society and sell vaccines. I see it more like that. But we, we got this. And we got this disease that, you know, in, if you're not over the average age of death anyway, your odds of surviving are much better than your odds of surviving your illness were. Like, it's like people have elective surgery every day. And when I say elective, I'm talking real elective here, like plastic surgeries and shit, that have a higher propensity to die than you do from COVID if you're like mid-40s, under, and healthy, right? So, like, we did this for that. This was bullshit. Yeah. I, I, I want to be clear when I say what I'm saying next, because I know special people in the audience you have to really tone it down for so they get what you're saying, right? Like, That does not mean all other potential pandemics have gone away. Someday we could get a flu, a coronavirus, something we don't even know yet that kills like 10% of the people that get it when they're healthy. We could get that. That's going to be awful. We're going to have enough problems with that. You just got the playbook. You know exactly what states are going to do what. And you know where the hell you do not want to be if that happens. Get out. I don't know how to be more clear about it. Right now, we're still dealing with this. People don't, I don't think people understand. Have you heard much about supply shortages? Like, this is going to get worse oh, before no. it gets better. Like, uh, people are telling me there's 60 days back on items that used to be able to get anytime they wanted. I mean, you talk about real estate. One reason real estate is so expensive is, have you priced plywood? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, one of the reasons a new house or an existing house is so expensive now is try to build one. See what the materials cost. Like, if materials are 30 to 80% higher than they were a year ago, depending on what material you're talking about. PVC pipe is doubled. Friggin' PVC. It's friggin' plastic pipe. We've had it for, I don't know when PVC was invented, but I don't remember a time in my life where you went to a hardware store, and I'm pretty old now, and you didn't see it. Like, all of this stuff's in short supply. They have destroyed everything, and I think there's still a window. There's still a window for people to do what you're doing, so I would say get out if you can, man. 100%. What do you have What do you have planned now? Like what is your what is your next stage? Like because going through a, an illness where you come face to face with your mortality, 
I think you're right around my age, maybe a little bit younger, so you're already in midlife, you know, where you start to realize, hey, there's starting to be more days behind me than in front of me. Like, you go through that kind of stage in life, and you're like, but I ain't done yet. So you've kind of talked about it a little bit. You know, you want to flesh that out here at the end? Like, what what is next for Glenn Tate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is doing enough law to pay my bills. My bills are smaller now, by the way. Um, we went, and when, especially when it comes to prepping and things, uh, we went kind of nuts in 2019 and 2020. And so, realistically speaking, we have a lot less stuff that we need to buy. It's kind of a cool place to be in. Um, and it's doing as little law as possible. It is doing um, non-litigation stuff. I've I figured out some things that I can do that I'm pretty good at, quite honestly, just because I've been doing it for a long time, uh, that don't involve that. And it is taking it easy. It's a lot more recreation. Of course, we're in a place where recreation, I mean, it's just you walk outside your door and it's recreation. You can't, you know, you don't have to drive through the city four hours to go find a cool place. Um, and it's just taking it really easy. And I know that sounds vague in general, but it is it is precisely yeah, that is the plan. No new books. Um, we still we do the podcast and radio show, which we love doing, and it's getting better and better all the time, um, partially because, well, actually a lot of it's because we have an amazing producer who makes it sound like, you know, like a really, really professional show. But um, doing that kind of stuff and taking it easy, you know, we haven't relaxed that much. We've either, either been working super hard at jobs and or, um, you know, building up businesses, um, including the show and, and, and prepping really, really hard. And so now we're going to, we're going to take it easy. Obviously we're still doing stuff and we're going to, and we're going to focus more on skills and things. Um, my wife is quite the, the gardener and animal husbandryist. I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now. And so focusing on skills and, 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 and that kind of thing as opposed to buying stuff, which never was the complete answer anyway. So um, you're going to see a lot more chill, um, Glenn Tate, and uh, that's okay. And I'm fine with that. <laughs> It's funny you say all that because I'm kind of hitting the same place you are right now for totally different reasons. Like uh, we're going on vacation next week. I'm going to be gone for like two and a half weeks like I do every year. And I basically have an entire schedule change when I get back, and I'm going to work less. Like, I, I, I've busted my ass now for, it'll be 14 years in June. And, and I'm ready to start, like, enjoying all the stuff I've built, both the business and the backyard, you know. I'm like, I, I'm getting older, and, like, I've, I'm not going to quit fighting, but I'm going to take a little bit of a different tactic because what I've always tried to do is lay out an example and say, like, you can design your life really well. So then part of that example is to do it. And so I'm going to kind of downshift a little bit myself. Like that doesn't mean I'm going to do any less impact, I think, but I'm going to do I'm going to work a little smarter. I'm going to try to like do one less show a week, give myself a day a week off, take my grandkids fishing, and at the same time I'll have more free time to like work on my backyard systems and stuff and and actually provide more content with less work. And I think that everybody in their life should be going that way you know i mean i look at it this way like i'm almost 50 it's time to do that had i known what i know now and i had started this life when i was in my 20s i could have been making this decision in my 30s and i could have been kind of in a semi-retired point in my 30s 
instead of in my 50s. And so I want to set that example for people because there's, for all the shit talk about young people, there's a lot of hard-charging young kids out there, Glenn. There really are. And I want to see them, I want to see them speed up what you and I have done to get to where we are now 20 years earlier. I want, that's, that's my payday, man. I want to see a whole shitload of people 10 years from now in their 30s partially exited from the system. That would be, That would be something I could look back on and say if I have 1% impact on that, that I feel good about my entire life's work. When they say living well is the best revenge, and if you've got all these systems and blue states and all this bad stuff we've been talking about, what's the best revenge is to be happy and not need to work all the time and not you know produce a bunch of tax income for them and to be so resilient and independent that their stupid laws really don't affect you. And uh, that's the best revenge. I mean, look at it that way. Yeah, I mean, we did have some restrictions here. We, we had some pretty decent restrictions here. Um, it did not impact my life. I just didn't participate. Like when everybody was freaking out and wearing masks, and I mean like even people in the audience, even people on our side at the beginning when everybody was scared, they were freaking out because I was like posting pictures of like, me and my wife and my grandkids hanging out in the backyard fishing in the little ponds we built and stuff like that. No masks on or whatever. And like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, well, we're listening to classic rock so they know what good music is. And we're having a really great time. And I'm not going to be afraid of my own grandchildren because I'm not a pussy. And people got really upset about it. Like, now they think it's great. But at that time, they were so scared, they got really upset about it. Like, you said a bad example or whatever. And I'm like, you know... Cowardice is conformity. That that that's the real definition of cowardice is conformity. So man, I'm glad to see you taking that similar approach. You want to tell people how they can learn more about you and your work and what have you? Yeah, you bet the best place, the one stop shop, I guess, would be the uh the podcast website, which is prepping two dash zero dot com or prepping two point oh, prepping two dash zero dot com. Books, uh, if you want to learn more about the books, 299days.com. That's the name of the series, 299 days, 299days.com. And that's pretty good. My wife's books are called A Great State, and um, they're similar to 299 Days. Some would say better, although I don't know that I would admit that. She's not in the room now, so I may go ahead. I would say they're better. If your wife did it, they're better. Okay. Always better. Always okay. better. Trust me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a greatstate.com. And, yeah, that's how to get a hold of us. You know, listen to the, the podcast. I mean, obviously listen to Jack's show, but, I mean, the podcast is free. We have a Patreon part if you want to support it. Or if not, that's cool, too. We're on a bunch of radio stations. Maybe in your area it comes on terrestrially, although that's always kind of a pain because you got to know when they're on and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, listen to the archives um, on the website or iTunes or whatever, and I think you get something out of it because, you know, my wife and I have lived this. Um, and we've, we, you know, here I am saying, I remember Jack in 2008 when you were driving around in your jet. I mean, this isn't like some recent thing with us and we've grown, we've evolved. I mean, you and I were just talking about that a minute ago about throttling down a little bit. So I think people can get something out of it because we've lived it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, Hey, I appreciate it. I'll make sure all the resources are in the show notes today and I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and no one will probably notice it, but we worked through some technical difficulties, too, so so thanks for that as well. Even though it was all your fault because yeah, it was on your end. <laughs> I know, because the phones and Internet in a blue state don't work. No, you know what it was? It's like it's like, like they were flying over in a black helicopter, put it on silent. He's, he's telling the truth again. 
They scramble his signal, right? That's what it was, man. <laughs> <laughs> I right, man. Well, I'm glad you're doing yeah. better. I'm glad you have a good prognosis. I'm glad you're getting the hell out because that's been my advice for a long time. And again, I appreciate you being with us today. Thank you, Jack. Always love coming on. Well, great talk with Glenn, and uh, that brings us to our item of the day, which fits perfectly with today's episode. And I got to tell you, when I when I looked at Glenn's cut sheet for today's episode. I didn't even know we were going to talk about strategic relocation. It's just one of those great coincidences that happened, because I'd already selected today's item of the day. I've brought this around before. Last time I brought it around was August last year. And I really thought all Glenn and I were going to talk about today was the medical issues that we let off with and, and COVID restrictions and the damage that they do. I didn't even know that Glenn was relocating until we started having that conversation. I had no idea. And yet I pick this item of the day, and it's a book. It's ancient, except you don't have to buy an ancient copy. It's reprinted by lots of people now. It's called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And the image that I have in the review of that item is a quote by Sun Tzu. And here's what he said. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war. While defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Basically, you pick your time and your place of battle. And in the write-up today, I wrote something that is paraphrasing. It's the best I can remember it being said to me. That was said to me in the Aguan River Valley of Honduras in what would have been 1992, early 1992. I had a first sergeant. He was actually a sergeant first class, but on that deployment, he was our highest-ranking NCO, and he ran the company as the first sergeant. And he would hand me books and say stuff like, well, Spirico, you can read this book, and we can talk about it, or when we're all talking about the books that I'm handing out, you can go do some shit labor or something like that. And there was a few soldiers he kind of picked out, not picked on, picked out. Like, this was actually a real wonderful experience. That like He was like, I'm going to be a mentor to that guy. And he was a little group of us, about six of us. And he would hand us these books, and he would tell us to read these books. And then we would you know, have a beer in the evening and sit around and talk about those books and what they mean. And he was the first person ever gave me a copy of this book. This guy was like a father to me. He was also a medical NCO. He was basically uh, he was kind of our top-level medic there other than one warrant officer. We didn't have a real doctor or anything like that on site. And I think he took his job really, really seriously, that it was to help keep soldiers alive. Uh, and that was his job. I mean, it's what he was there to do. And here's what he said to me when we were talking about this book. And again, we're sitting in the middle of Honduras, surrounded by poverty and squalor. He said, our nation's not as strong as many people think. Our weakness is not our military. It is ourselves. We are spoiled adult children. Someday it is likely that all of this is going to bite us in the ass and we'll all turn on each other. He then pointed to the rabble of poverty around us, which was extensive. He said, people think this can't happen in our country, but there's places in our country like this right now. No one looks at them. They pretend they don't exist. It's like a cancer we refused to treat. And when you don't treat a cancer, it metastasizes. It spreads and it eventually takes over the entire body. Someday our nation might break down like this one did. This place wasn't always like this. 
This nation should be a tourist mecca. It should be wealthy, but just look at it. If this ever starts to happen in America, it is going to be bloody. It is going to be awful, and you're going to have to choose a side. But this, but if this book, book taught you anything, it should be that when and where you take a stand is more important than anything else. What Toth was trying to teach us in that was when it came to a battle, whether it was a military battle, whether it was a personal battle, no matter what it was, as long as there was time to think, there were two primary things to do. One, choose the time and the place of your battle. Choose the time and place of your battle. And number two, only fight when victory is assured. That doesn't mean run away. It means bide your time. Set up your ambush. Be prepared. Make sure that you can last long enough so that you can strike whatever that means, whether it's tactically, politically, physically, no matter what it means. Choose your life so that set things up so that do not be bought, do not be tra tricked into acting rashly or too quickly. Wait until the moment is right and then attack. That's what he was trying to tell me. And that's what he was trying to teach us. And when I first ran this book as an item of the day, it was in August last year. It was August 28th, 2021. Um, and, of course, the supposed insurrection at the Capitol had not happened yet. Now tell me that's not what happened there. Tell me they didn't lay down a trap, that they didn't get exactly what they wanted when that happened. Tell me that's not what happened. They chose the wrong place, the wrong time, and the wrong way to fight. And if you, if you make those three mistakes, losing is almost assured. The wrong place, the wrong time, and the wrong way. And that's what so many people do. That's what Glenn was talking about when he's like, yeah, it's time to get the hell out. Choose the place that you're going to stand. You, this nonsense that it's running away or whatever. Do you know how we won the American Revolution? If you want to put it that way, we ran away. It's not because we didn't fight. We ran away. An entire campaign was nothing but the British chasing us all through the swamps and mountains and forests of the Carolinas. And so they were ragtagged and wore out because we shot a couple and we ran away. And we did it again, and we ran away again, and we did it again, and we ran away again, and we did it again, and we ran away again. Throughout the entire war, that was the general tactic, but you guys know the, well, maybe you don't. Maybe you should crack a history book and learn a little bit about that. Maybe someday we'll do a show on that. Maybe I'll get CJ from the Dangerous History Podcast to come on and talk about that. How the U.S. won its independence by running away. Not with the connotation. That was choosing the time the place, and the way of the fight. The right place, the right time, the right way, based on the unfair advantage the enemy had. To take that unfair advantage and turn it into a disadvantage. That's what strategic relocation is about. And, and that was exactly what I was talking about the first time I ran this book. So I think it's cool that I ran it again. I really recommend that you get a copy and read it. Um, man, Just talking about that makes takes me back to those uh, those evenings in Honduras with uh, with Top.
and the way he treated us like that we were his, his children. He really was like a father to us. He was an amazing man. Choose the time, the place, and the means of the battle, and always do so so that it stacks the deck in your favor. That is the true code of the warrior. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our song of the day. And we're not going to... We're not going to leave the deeper thoughts today, even with our song of the day. You know, Bob Seger week, right? So we, we're, we're talking about all kinds of great rock songs. And, I mean, his probably most famous song ever turned into a jingle for Chevrolet pickup trucks. You know, like a rock. So you'd think there wasn't a lot of deep music out of Bob Seger. There really was. And this one's one of the deeper ones. And it's a song most of y'all have probably not heard, even though it was on, I think it was on the album Night Moves. It's called Ship of Fools. Now, there's a whole bunch of songs called Ship of Fools. The Doors did one. I think it was about an acid trip. Um, Robert Plant did one that was a love song. I'm trying to think of who else did one. There's one other well-known group that did did a Ship of Fools, but it wasn't this one either. Oh, Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead did a song called Ship of Fools. I don't Ah, Theirs is probably about the same thing, just different angle. Um In this case, Bob Seger's goes back to the original place that this term comes from. And it's from an allegory written by Plato. It was a ship with a dysfunctional crew. And I'm going to actually read the summary of it. And then you listen to this song, and you understand what this song's really all about for yourself. Because good music is poetry, and poetry is interpreted by different people for different things. But boy, it sure seems to fit today. There's the ship owner, larger and stronger than everyone in the ship, but somewhat deaf and rather short-sighted, with a knowledge of sailing to match his eyesight. The sailors are quarreling among themselves about the captaincy of the ship, each one thinking that he ought to be a captain, Though he has never learnt the skill, nor can he point to the person who taught him or a time when he was learning it. On top of which, they say it can't be taught. In fact, they're prepared to cut to pieces anyone who says it can. The ship owner himself is always surrounded by them. They beg him and do everything they can to make him hand over the tiller to them. Sometimes, if other people can persuade him, and they can't, they kill those others and throw them overboard. Then they immobilize their worthy ship owner with drugs and drink by some other means and take control of the ship, helping themselves to what it is carrying, drinking and feasting. They sail in the way you'd expect people like that to sail. More than that, if someone is good at finding them ways in persuading or compelling the ship owner to let them take control, they call him a real seaman, a real captain, and say he really knows about ships. Anyone who can't do this... They treat with contempt, calling him useless. They don't even begin to understand that it is he to be truly fit to take command of a ship. A real ship's captain must necessarily be thoughtly familiar with the seasons of the year, the stars of the sky, the wind, and everything to do with his art. As far as he is going to steer the ship, regardless of whether anyone wants him to or not, they do not regard this as an additional skill or study which can be acquired over and above the art of being a ship's captain. If this is the situation on board, don't you think the person who is genuinely equipped to be captain would be called a stargazer, a charter, or no use to them by those who sail in a ship with this kind of crew? What Plato was talking about 
is the follies of democracy. That's what Plato was talking about. I think all of us can understand some of the problems with that today. fits in really good with today's show. And I think all of us have felt at some point or another we're traveling on a ship of fools. With that, it's been Jack Spirigo with another edition of the Survival Podcast. What's this all have to do with me? I spent all my time at sea alone. Is there something else I should know? Something hidden down below? The level of your conversation. Well, it turned away. Before the answer Though I yelled aloud He refused to hear It became too clear So it went as we put out I was left in constant doubt Everything I asked about seemed private The captain strolled the bridge one night I stopped him in the evening light To ask him would it be alright to join him Well he stood there like some idol And he listened like some temple And then he turned away All along the faithful coast We move silent like a ghost Timeless sea, a tireless host Possessed us Wind came building from the cold northwest And soon the waves began to crest Crashing across the forward deck All hands lost I alone Survived the sinking I alone Possessed the tools On that ship of fools Ship of fools On that ship of fools